Hello, friends. Welcome back to another episode of Theology in the Raw. In case you haven't heard, the digital version of the Exiles in Babylon conference is now available for sale. You can learn about race and racism, sexuality, gender, politics and the gospel, and different Christian views of hell. Check out theologyintheraw.com to purchase those videos. And if you want to support the show, you can go to patreon.com forward slash theology in the raw. But actually, I would love for you for this episode to support Cure International. Peter Chalo is my guest today. He serves as the Chief Program Officer of Cure International, which has locations in Kenya, Malawi, Uganda, Niger, Ethiopia, Zambia, and the Philippines. Peter previously served as the Executive Director of Cure Kenya, Cure Zambia, Cure Malawi, and the Interim Executive Director of Cure Uganda. He holds an MA in Global Healthcare Management and Leadership, as well as an MBA from the United States International University. Uh, he's married to his wife, and they have four kids together, around the same age as my kids, actually. And uh, I met Peter last June when my family and I visited Cure International, a gospel-centered hospital doing, I try not to be over the top, doing some of the most amazing kingdom work I've ever personally experienced. And that's what this whole podcast is about. Peter's going to unpack that for us. I just, our one day that we visited Cure, I walked away and just stunned at the the level and depth of the kingdom impact that this ministry is is doing and and just found Peter to be an absolute uh, delight. And the way this ministry is run is just off the chart amazing. And I was, I'm still, I'm just a year ago when I would visit it and I'm still just reeling from that experience. And so I'm so excited for you to get to know Peter Chalo and the ministry going on at Cure International. So please welcome to Theology and Raw for the first time uh, from Nairobi, Kenya, Peter Chalo. All right. Hey, friends. Welcome back to another episode of Theology in the Raw. I am so, so, so excited about this conversation with my, my friend. I'll, I'll say friend, even though we only met briefly in uh, in, in Kenya, uh, Peter Chalo, who um, is part of a ministry called Cure International. And uh, last summer, last June, my family and I went out to visit uh, a few ministries in, in, in Nairobi, and one of them was Cure. And Peter was kind enough to show us around the hospital. And I was, Peter, I I was so blown away at the level of kingdom impact that you guys are doing and hearing your thought behind the whole thing and and just the the level of theological thoughtfulness that has gone into your ministry. I just, I'm still, I just told my wife the other day, I'm like, I'm still, when I think about here, it just it's just it's it's just so unbelievable what you guys are doing. So anyway, thank you, Peter, for coming on the podcast. Tell us who you are, uh, what you do, and I'm sure we'll have you know lots of time to unpack what you are doing there at Cure International. Well, thank you very much, and thank you for having me. I'm looking forward to this discussion. So my name is Peter Chalo, and uh, I think when I think about myself, and that's always an interesting question. So just tell us about yourself. So, you know, I. I do a number of things. Um, um, my wife and I have uh, four children. Our eldest is in college. And then we have uh, three little girls. And uh, so we are uh, a busy household. So <laughs> I try and balance uh, all the different responsibilities that I have, being a father, being a husband, uh, working for Cure, and, and, and also 
being uh, an active follower of Christ. I think that that uh, is important and is important um, and, and really informs uh, sort of my thought process, what I do, uh, the things that I'm involved in. And so um, my wife and I involved a church and uh, we help uh, mentor young couples as well. So, yeah, so a lot on, on my plate, but uh, I think above all, just grateful that uh, the Lord gives me the grace to be able to just live every day uh, at a time. All right. So tell us about Cure International. When did it start? What's the mission behind it? What is it that you guys you guys do? So Cure International started in 1998. And um, it was started by Dr. Scott and, and Sally Harrison. And um, Dr. Dr. Harrison was a businessman who was uh, involved in, in missions. And um, he started going to Malawi, where actually one of our hospitals is, and uh, in 1986. Mm-hmm. And so he went there, and every time he went, uh, it was most, almost very interesting because um, there were a number of things that were consistent. So every time he went back, there were more patients uh, that were waiting for him to um, the hospital sort of an infrastructure and the support just kept getting poorer and poorer. Hmm. Um, he had to do really complex operations. Um, and then he wasn't able to do all that he, you know, he was trained to do and he could do because hospitals did not have the equipment, did not have the manpower and, and so on, did not have stable power. Just some things that uh, you might take for granted. Uh, I think it's important to be able to have electricity when you're operating and uh, when you don't have that becomes problematic. And then he went with his wife and uh, as, as they continued to meet with the parents and the mothers, um, it was interesting because uh, the mothers had so many questions and, and and their story was well, stories were just heartbreaking because uh, you know my one mother would say my husband left me because uh, my child was born with a disability. Mm. Uh, another mother would say you know I'm not allowed to participate in um, in, in sort of the activities of the village because they think that my my son my child my daughter is cursed. Oh, wow. uh, I'm a bad omen. I'm uh, I'm this and so. And, and, and it wasn't like just one parent, you know, it just kept happening over and over. And and so Scott and Sally, they did several trips and um, he was involved in the U.S., he was in business and then uh, was able to turn around a business that he was involved in. Um, and then he retired and he, you know, he was uh, blessed. Um, and he had some resources, and he kept praying and asking the Lord, what really do you want me to do? And then um, in ni- around 1997, he went to help uh, a hospital in Kenya where a missionary doctor was um, was an orthopedic surgeon there. And um, so he thought, you know, at this point he had, he had retired. He hadn't been involved in uh, active practice of medicine in orthopedics for a while. And he thought, hey, this will be a good trip. I'll go and see some lions, uh, do a safari, uh, and, and slowly ease into the practice of, uh, of orthopedics again, so just slowly. And um, when he got there, uh, of course, you know, the hospitals had informed patients, hey, there's an American doctor that's coming to uh, really help and treat you, you know, very high level uh, individual. And uh, so the first patient that he met 
um, he has sort of had his story and read who Dr. Scott Harrison was. And uh, the, the parents of this young gentleman told him, hey, this is an American doctor who's going to heal you. And um, when he just, you know, evaluated the patient, what had happened is that uh, the young man was out on a farm and a tree fell on his back. And uh, he sustained very serious um, back injury. So he was really uh, on a wheelchair. The prognosis was really, really bad. And uh, Dr. Scott Harrison really, in his own words, said that uh, he really regretted that uh, he was that patient's only option. Hmm. And because and, really nobody could do that operation. So long story short, he was able to read. He was able to do a lot of research and um, really just, uh, you know, by God's grace, um, treated that patient and, and, you know, did the surgery. The surgery was successful. And, and then he thought about it you know, just uh, his life up to that point. And he asked himself a question that uh, if I'm the only person who's able to do this, that's just not sustainable. Mm-hmm. And then he started replaying sort of sort of uh, from 1986, going to Malawi, the issues that they kept seeing over and over again. And, and so through prayer, Cure War started and Cure War started really to help children um, that are born with physical disabilities um, and so what we do is that uh, we do corrective surgery mm-hmm. um, and do a range of things. We, we do things in orthopedics, uh, correcting bones, crooked bones, um, in, in plastic reconstructors, things like cleft lips and palates, burn contractures, um, in neurosurgery, children that are born with uh, uh, water in their brain, open spines, and, and so on. So, so really the, the mission of cure and, and it's very simple. It comes straight from Luke 9-2. And, and so our mission is to heal the sick and proclaim the kingdom of God. Mm. And, and we combine those because we realize that uh, a human being is uh, not complete if it's just the physical. So we have to think about the physical. We have to think about the emotional, the spiritual, and, and, and also help the patient mm. and the parents uh, be able to go back to society and 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 leave um, as as really as uh, members of uh, of society. So so that's the reason why cure exists. And we like, like I said, we've been we've been open for the last uh, 25 years. Uh, we have eight hospitals across the network, um, seven in Africa and one in Asia in the Philippines. And um, just looking at the last uh, 25 years, we've done over 300 surgical procedures. In terms of outpatient, just patients coming through our doors, we have uh, seen over 5 million uh, patients. 5 million? Um, 5 million, yes, that's correct. We've reached over 1 million people with the gospel. Wow. Uh, and, and we'll talk about that, our sports ministry. And yeah. out of that, we've had over 200,000 people that have given a life, their lives to Christ. Wow. Uh, and, and so very intentional about mm-hmm. not only just treating the patient but also uh, taking the opportunity to share the gospel with the patient mm-hmm. their parents and everybody else that would care to listen to us yeah and another very important so many patients that need our care mm-hmm. and um and like i said it just got hard to just single-handedly treat all the patients mm-hmm. and so for the last few years we've been about twenty-five thousand able to do what we do 
So, and so that that is medical doctors, whether it's orthopedic surgeons, whether it's neurosurgeons, um, whether it's nurses, trainings, continue to preach the gospel. We want to make sure that we are not only fishing, but teaching people how to fish. <laughs> Yeah, I, th- I think we're having some uh, connection uh, issues, so I hope my audio guy can clean this up a little bit. But um, you you mentioned it a little bit already, but I'd love to to have you really really unpack the stigma that can surround somebody born with a physical uh, disability, club foot or something. Um, that that because it's one thing. I mean, just healing somebody's physical disability that alone can be life changing, but in in the in the African context that you were describing, that like th- this carries a a really widespread social stigma that the physical ailment alone can be difficult, but there's a social, economic, religious thing that surrounds these disabilities. Can, can you help us out? Because most of my audience lives in a Western context where they they might not have the same kind of um, issue. Can can you unpack that a little bit for our audience? This even you know, dates back to sort of biblical times. If, if we remember the story of Jesus and people coming to ask who sinned. Yeah. And um, in, in the African culture, I think there's a lot of emphasis on people being quote-unquote normal. You know, you have your limbs, you have, uh, you know, you look like your neighbor. Uh, uh, is it the mothers? Is it the fathers? Is it the community? Is it the, um, the family? And, and a lot of the time what happens is that uh, people go to the witch doctors to try and get answers. And, and the answers that they get from the witch doctors are, it's, you've been bewitched, you know. Um, somebody cast a spell on you, it's your brother, it's it's your sister. And, and, and so a lot of the times people will think that a disability like that probably will be contagious. Or if I interact with somebody who has a disability, then the same curse that they are under would also, you know, either come on myself or my family. And so people do not want to associate with people that are living with disabilities. And and in some of the African uh, communities, what used to happen in the past, uh, and, and some really, really terrible things, they a child born with a disability will be thrown into the cow pen, for example, and then just allow the, the cows and, and, the, and the livestock and animal, animals there just to just uh, trample on, on the child and die. Um, a lot of the times, children born with disabilities will be taken to the forest and left there uh, so that a wild animal will come and eat them. In, in some communities, uh, what would happen is that uh, they would give a, a child tobacco, you know, so that the, the, the lungs are perforated so that they would die. In, in some communities, what they would do is that um, they would give... Um, the young child uh, milk from like a camel, which is very high in cholesterol. And, and, and that cholesterol just, you know, sort of goes and, and, and blocks things inside. And then the patient die, dies. And, and so why do people do that? It's because they want to be able to be a part of the community. Nobody wants to be stigmatized. And, and, and this even extends to the point where, and, and we hear this a lot of the times where even husbands would leave their, their wives because they've, you know, given birth to a child born with a disability. And, and so it's, it's incredibly difficult. And, and, and you can imagine, and maybe let me try and paint the picture this way. You all live in the same place. Uh, you know your neighbor, you know your neighbor, your cousin, and everybody. You go to the same well to get water. 
you go to the same farms to help each other, uh, you go to the same church, you go to the same school, and then you're sort of like the black sheep and everybody knows about that. And then nobody wants to associate yourself. So people then are forced to do just very hard things so that they can fit in, so that they can be accepted. Mm. Um, and so really our, our ministry is to be able to change that, to be able to work with the communities. And, and one of the things that uh, probably will be of interest is that um, we are even working with, with churches and pastors to teach them. Uh, and we've developed the theology of disability. Mm-hmm. Uh, what What's God's view mm-hmm. uh, um, when it comes to disabilities? How does he see sort of like a person who has, you know, straight legs and somebody whose legs mm-hmm. probably are crooked? Yeah, mm-hmm. What's God's view? How does God see them? And then what then is our response? How should we see them? And so we're trying to teach pastors and teach community leaders uh, so that they can understand that. And once they understand that, then it becomes a lot easier mm. um, for for those children even to be accepted in church uh, and, and, and to be able to go to school and to be able to do so many different things. So for us, we realize that uh, we, we just do not want to treat the child and take them out of the village and then sort of plan them back. We want to be able to work through that ecosystem so that when somebody else has a disability, then they know what to do, how to treat them, uh, and how to love them. I would love for you to share, I mean, maybe even have a specific story, or I'm sure you have probably thousands of stories you could share of like a child with a disability, stigmatized, the family stigmatized, they find cure, they bring the child. Week later, two weeks later, a month later, the child comes back healed. Can you describe the impact that that has on that family, the community, the gospel, the church? And and, and we have lots and lots of stories. And, um, and I'll probably just tell two stories very okay. quickly. One of them was um, a young girl uh, gives birth to a child that uh, was born with clubfoot. Clubfoot, you know, is treatable. Yeah. Uh, it happens... Uh, you know, one in every 1,000. So, you know, <clears throat> there are probably, you know, 2,000 uh, clubfoot uh, children, I mean, uh, children born with clubfoot every year in Kenya in some of our, the countries that we operate in. Um, how do we treat them? When they're young, you put a uh, uh, cast, uh, six to eight weeks. It's a fairly simple procedure. And then you do a very minor I think just to fix their tendon at the back. And then you put them on on braces. And by the time they're two years, the clubfoot is corrected. So this mother gives birth to a child who has clubfoot and the husband leaves her. And then the other very powerful thing that happens in in, in the African community is that uh, you are named. If, for example, I'm named after my grandfather, my sister is named after um, you know, my grandmother, and sort of that's how we, we, we name children. So the first son boy is named after the, you know, father's uh, dad, uh, and, and it goes on that way. And so the grandmother to this child looks at the child and say, no, 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 this is not from my family, and you can never name that child after me. And, and so the father leaves, and then, you know, she's completely lost, eventually finds a a place where Cure does run mobile clinics. So we actually go to the villages to look for patients. And so this mother finds a clinic, they come to the hospital, they're treated. 
And um, four years later, fast forward, the child is completely healed. The father comes back and asks for forgiveness. The mother, the grandmother says, this is my child. This is my granddaughter. I want her to be named after me. Mm-hmm. And, and guess what? Who was a flower girl at the dad's and mom's wedding? She is the flower girl at the wedding. So the whole family has come together because of what we were able to do. Mm. And and so that that is just one story. And 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 there are many where we find families coming together, we find that there's uh, there's reconciliation, we have to take them through sort of that whole process um and and we work with uh, different people so that they're able to deal with some of those issues and trauma and so on. We have a, another um patient story in Ethiopia where this uh, family comes from a Muslim family, I mean, a community, they're rejected. We find them, they come to the hospital, uh, we treat them. And then, you know, they are working, they come to the hospital, they meet Jesus. And then they go back to the village and the villagers can villages cannot believe it. And then this family from a Muslim community invites our spiritual director from the hospital to go to their village, and guess what? They plant a church. A lot of the people come to that church. They come to know about Jesus, and almost the entire village comes to know Jesus through this family. And and so when we hear things like that, I think you know, they just, mm-hmm. it's, it's exciting because, you know, it goes back to our mission to heal the sick and proclaim the kingdom of God. Mm-hmm. We've healed them. And then how do we proclaim the kingdom? How do we demonstrate that? How do we teach others to be able to do that? Another very quick, quick story is um, one of the staff members who works at one of our hospitals develops scoliosis. The, the spine was, was bending. They went to many hospitals. They could not find a cure. And then um, what happened is that they went to the witch doctor. And the witch doctor, of course, you know, asked for a chicken and this and a goat. And then the witch doctor says, I know the problem now. Who's causing this? And he tells the father to this young boy, the problem is your sister. And the guy looks and says, no, I don't have a sister. Because he just, you know, he had, you know, brothers. He had no sister, uh, sisters. And then he's like, this guy is a fake. Hmm. And, and as a result of that, he goes and starts looking for other solutions. And, you know, by God's grace, they come to a mobile clinic where cure is. They come to the hospital. The boy is treated. Um, many years back, you know, comes, goes to college, finishes his education, and works at the hospital as a patient advocate. It's funny because when the patients are not exactly sure whether they should go through surgery or not, he says, look, I'm exhibit A. You know, I went through surgery. I came here. It happened. And, you know, uh, you don't have to worry. So those are, you know, probably 300,000 stories like that of transformed lives. Yes. Uh, well, I mean, probably the most impactful thing you said, or it might have been your call. I think it, who, was the, who was the other guy that showed us around? You and um, there was another guy that was there. The real wise, sophisticated, <laughs> like I felt really, I felt really ignorant in his presence. Like <laughs> he just... <laughs> He just exuded yeah. like wisdom. <laughs> yes, probably. Well, I don't know. Probably is a person who's in charge of uh, uh, patients' relations and yeah. patients' recruitment. Okay. Yes. One of yeah. you said that like you kind of compared it to like pastoral ministry in a church. Like if if somebody a non-believer comes to church or meets a Christian, like we have to kind of work really hard. You know, God is good and He loves you, and it 
it's a lot of it's just kind of abstract. And I don't want to deny the power of, you know, just telling the truth of the gospel. But you said it's we don't need to convince people of the goodness of the gospel because we lead with a revolutionary thing that's just mind blowing. So when you say God is good and he's the one that is doing this, you don't need to do any convincing. It's like, it's, it's there. There's no, there's no, it's a tangible argument, you know, can you, can you, I'm probably not summarizing it right, but can can you unpack that a little bit? Just just the, the, the pathway that's really cleared um, through the healing to be able to share the gospel with people. At at the end of the day, you have somebody who is uh, searching somebody who has uh, an obvious physical condition. And then they're asking questions. They're trying to figure out um, what happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, why me? Mm-hmm. And um, when, when they come to the hospital, we're able to say, look, we might not understand the why. We might not understand, uh, you know, all the reasons that a lot of these things happen. But one of the things that we understand is that God called us mm-hmm. to be here. For such as a time as this, for you, and 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 we see that uh, every patient that walks through our doors as a divine opportunity for us to be able to share the gospel and 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 love them in a way that's tangible. And we feel that the Lord has called us into this ministry because we can say, look, we want you to be whole. And how do we do that? We want you to be able to actually love God and be able to understand why did he create you. And and so working with patients through that journey and they can be able to see, hey, um, this is how I was like. This is how I am like now. You know, it's 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 almost like, uh, you know, um, in, in, in the Bible, uh, you know, people that came to know Christ and say, you know, says, oh, I was blind. Now I can see, you know. I don't understand everything else, but this was me and this is that that was me and this is me now. And sort of that's that's what we do. We want the patient to be able to say I had clubfoot, was treated by people that love Jesus, and they told me about Jesus and they told me why they do it. And they felt that I was sent to them because God loves me. Yeah. And and, and to yeah. me I think that just life-changing because uh, we feel that uh, you know, every patient, everybody just needs to know to know Jesus, because, you know, a lot of the times we might not have the answers, mm-hmm. but our Heavenly Father does. Mm-hmm. And and we want to be able to set you on a path that you can communicate to your Heavenly Father. You can ask those questions, mm-hmm. you know, like David have, you know, that intimate relationship where you ask questions, you cry to the Lord. And, and we, we feel that uh, when we do that, then we are leaving our mission. We're healing the sick and claiming the kingdom of God. And you, I don't think we've mentioned this yet, but they don't pay anything, right? Like the surgeries are free? Or? No, I think the, it's important also for us to be able to understand why. The, a lot of the people and a lot of the children that come from families, I mean, from the families that we treat, come from very poor families. Yeah. Uh, they, a lot of the times, cannot even afford the bus fare, the transportation to get to the hospital. And, and that's why we do mobile clinics so that we can go and, and find them. Uh, we can go to the villages and tell them about the good news. And so it, it, it becomes very incredibly difficult to be able then to say, hey, please, uh, you know, pay when 
that family probably had not even had a meal for, you know, for a couple of days. How do you do that? And so we feel that we are called to the marginalized, the most vulnerable uh, uh, children. And and so we, we do not ask them to, to, to pay anything. Okay. We, we okay. take care of them. And do they not believe you when you say that? Is there like some, are they suspicious or... <laughs> There are some that actually go like, uh, is this like, uh, is this like a joke? You know, uh, you know, so like just waiting, thinking that it's it's a dream. And then they just come and realize, yes, that's who we are. That's what we do. That's what we did yesterday. That's what we will do today. And that's what we'll do tomorrow. And yeah. and we, we yeah. actually tell them to go and tell others. And very interesting, interestingly, is that there are lots and lots of people who've gone back to the village and told people, hey, like the Samaritan woman, you better go to that hospital. They huh. feed you well. They tell huh. you about Jesus. They take good care of you. And um, yeah, what, what else do you, do you need? But for us to be able to do that, uh, obviously, we uh, have to work with donors, mm-hmm. people that believe in a mission so that we can make that possible. Because without donors and the people that support this ministry, it just becomes a dream. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I, I was going to say this at the end, but I'll say it now and at the end. But I mean, on your website, you have a really clear donate uh, button. Um, so if anybody is, you know, and I didn't, br- I didn't bring you on to like solicit funds or whatever. I wanted people to hear about your ministry, but it goes hand in hand. So I, I love your point that you can't do that without people donating. So if anybody is moved to, to donate, please visit. Yeah. Cure. Is it just Cure International? I mean, if I just, you Googled it, it pops right up. I think. Yeah. Just oh, right. C-U-R-E.org. Uh, C-U-R-E.org. Yeah. And there's a donate button there. Do you remember the, yes, the, the, that, that family we visited um, when, when we were there? Can you describe his situation? I, I, it was, and you talk about, yeah, poverty. I mean, they, they were, I can't even describe what they were living in. I mean, just almost like a just cement block, like not even, I wouldn't even call it a house. It was just like a shell. I mean, and yeah, seeing the yeah. kid that you guys treated was just to see him smile and walk and. And, and, and yeah, like, I mean, that, 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 that boy was born with, uh, with clubfoot okay. and, um, you know, had gone through, you know, rejection, was only living with a grandmother. The dad had left them. They did not know where the dad was. And then the daughter had to go and, you know, look for work. And then the old grandmother who has no work is left with the, the little boy to take care of. And and so, so actually, so the grandmother is the one that was trying to figure out what do I do with my grandson? And, and through one of our mobile clinics, uh, he was able to find us. Um, and then came to the hospital. We did the surgery for free. Told them about Jesus again, and 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 you know we've continued to to follow them because every, every patient that we treat for us just becomes part of the Cure family. You know that's 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 one of us. That's you know, mm. and uh, and it's usually very interesting. Even sometimes you go to some of these clinics and some of these homes and say, hey, your kids are here. You know, your son is here. So they they all call all the children our children, and and we are their parents and their uncles and aunties and grandmothers and grandfathers. And so 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 that little boy, uh, we treated him. Now he's able to go to school because that that's that, that's that's the other thing. Because um, when you have a disability, it's very difficult for you to go to school. Mm-hmm. A lot of the schools in Africa are three, four, five miles away. So if you're born with a club foot that gets yeah. painful, how do you go to school? Yeah. 
if you're born with bow legs, it's just a matter of time before you drop out of school. And, and you know, education, like we all say, is one of the greatest equalizers because then you go to school, you probably have better prospects for employment and, and, and many other doors are open. And so when you're born with a disability, you're not able to go to school. It just compounds the the, the poverty problem. And, and so that young boy is going to school and really he can have his, his life back. What, what are some challenges that you face, like in the, in the rhythm of your ministry, week in, week out? Is it, um, I mean, is, is it finances? Is it too many needs that you just can't meet at all? Is it getting enough doctors to volunteer their time? Because that's, you get doctors, right, that are, volu- they come on their own, or do they get paid, or do they have to, volu- are they, is it all volunteer, or? So, so, so both. So, so we have challenges at a different level. So if, if you look at um, trying to get patients, for example, a lot of patients do not want to come out in the open. They do not want to, you know, some of the children are hidden. So how, how do you find them? And so we, we are constantly driving miles and miles to go and, and, and look for those patients. You know, patients that are sometimes are chained to a tree because the mom needs to go and work. Uh, chained, they do not want to, to leave tree. the child by themselves because then what happens? Yes, yeah, that's correct. Some are, that, that, that's quite challenging, just being able to go out into the villages and, you know, tell people about cure and the fact that, hey, you do not need to do this. You know, you can come to us. And so in, in most places, patients just walk in and, uh, you know, they get t- treatment. And, they go. and then even, even when the patients go back home, it's very expensive for them to come back to the hospital. And, and so we have to think about follow-up. How do we follow up a patient? Because, you know, you do very good surgery, and then they don't come back for their doctor's appointment. The plaster okay. comes off. Uh, then, so so then we have to figure out out of ways of ways of uh, being able to follow up those patients. So through mobile clinics, sometimes you go to hospitals that are closer to them, and and that's just one huge challenge. the The other challenge is just you know, we live in you know our hospitals are in Africa in in you know developing countries and. Um, Things like electricity, you know, uh, we do not have stable power. So you have to figure out, uh, you have to get a generator, one, mm-hmm. and sometimes you have to get another generator that becomes a backup to the backup. Um, <laughs> yeah. It's just, you know, it's yeah. just the reality of it. Of course, what, when you look at the just the number of doctors that there are in the countries that we serve in, and, and I'll give you an example of Malawi. Malawi is about 20, 25 million people. It has a less than six orthopedic surgeons in the whole country. Ooh. Wow! Five of those work at the Cure Hospital. Oh wow! So oh wow! Yeah, so you know, so we are it. So there, we have lots and lots of needs, and 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 a lot of those countries just don't have the manpower. Um, they don't have enough doctors for us to to hire. So we actually hire people. Uh, so that they can work with us full time. Um, our, our model is, is slightly different because we do this from Monday to Monday. We operate every day, uh, apart from the weekend. So you know, and and so for volunteers, they come to uh, help and augment what we do. But we do not um, rely on volunteers 100% because then you know sometimes the hospital will be open, then will be closed depending on when the volunteers can come. And so uh, all our 
are employed with, uh, you know, by us because we want them to be there when the patient comes. And and then of course the the, the other challenges like you know running the hospital, their finances, their systems, and uh, you know sewer systems and water. Do, where do you get water from? It's it's you know how do you clean that water? Uh, how do you train people? And um, how do you get the right people that are missionally aligned, mm-hmm. love Jesus? love children and want to do what we do because because of the you know demand and supply for example uh, the doctors that would like to hire in country for example have a lot more options they can go into the big city get into private practice make a lot of money and then how do you attract you know people that really just feel that this is this is their calling um that that's that's a huge challenge how, how do you then get somebody who not only wants to do that he's well trained loves Jesus, mm-hmm. wants to live in a country like Niger, where it's 100 degrees almost every day, you know. <laughs> um, it's, it's, you know, people talk about uh, sub-Saharan Africa, Niger, where a hospital is in Niamey, is in the Sahara Desert, you know. Uh, it's, it's, it's hot, it's dry, um, you know, you don't have enough schools for some of the expatriates that would come uh, so it's it's a huge sacrifice, and so being able to attract people that would actually give uh, of themselves, some will give up some of their comforts uh, to be able to do this is it, always a, it's always a huge challenge. Equipment, being able to get the right equipment, being able to service the equipment, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that's huge. And and it's um, lots of uh, organizations have done research because there's a lot of donated equipment to Africa. Mm-hmm. Um, and then after two, three years, um, just stops working because there's no preventive maintenance. You know, where do you get the technicians? Where do you get people to be able to maintain some of this uh, equipment? So, I mean, you know, my role is actually to run the hospital. So, you know, I can I can write a book about the challenges that we <laughs> about uh, on, on running the the hospitals. I know you're stressing me out just describing all the things like <laughs> that. Probably a lot of hospitals take for granted, like clean water and you know electricity. Yep. <laughs> mm-hmm. yep. um, can you talk just a little bit about the? Another thing I was really impacted by is the holistic nature of the hospital. It's not just a hospital. It's it's a hospital, but it also has a lot of uh, time and resources and personnel devoted to spiritual formation, discipleship. Like then that was that's a key component of the ministry that it's it's I mean, just the healing alone has a profound spiritual component, as, as we've been talking about. But you big emphasis on just the holistic nature of the ministry. So what does that look like uh, at, the, at the hospital? So, so, for so we have um, what we call like a triple M. So there's uh, medicine, there's management. Of course, you have to think through all the things that I was talking about, and then there's the ministry. Mm-hmm. Uh, so those are like you know the the the, the key pillars. And um, and our medical ministry, we have three pillars. One of them is uh, um, ministry to ourselves, the staff. So every morning we start with the devotion. Um, once a week, the whole uh, staff gets together for a chapel. Uh, we sing, we praise, and then the rest of the days, the departments meet together. We have a common uh, uh, theme and uh, like an annual plan 
to be able to to learn and and really feed ourselves because we believe that uh, if 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 we are not well fed then we we are not able to do the same we're not able to feed the uh, the children and the parents so we want to empower everybody so that spiritual ministry is just not only for the spiritual director and the people that work in that department the cleaner how do you clean how do you minister how do you do that in a way that honors how do you you know as you're cleaning, take the opportunity to be able to share the gospel. And and, and I'll use um, an example. When, when you go to the lab, you have a sticker that says, hey, thank you for coming. And as I draw your blood to do tests, have you heard about the blood that cleanses everybody? Oh, wow. Have you heard about the blood of Jesus? Oh. As you come in at reception, as we're registering you into the, you know, to our EMR or a book, we're like, hey, thank you so much for coming. But have you heard about the book of life? And then, you know, there's a sticker there. And, and so people ask questions. So we want every staff member to be able to share the gospel and, and we equip them to be able to do that. Then we have uh, ministry to the patients on the ward. So we have ward fellowship with music, there's sharing, there's videos, we show the Jesus film. Um, there's one-on-one, there's counseling. There's So it's constant, you know, just getting people to really understand uh, the kingdom and then there's now what we do what we call community engagement how do we you know teach and and equip pastors and churches to be able to welcome the people that uh, give their lives to christ how do we teach them to be able to embrace uh these patients and the mothers and the parents that of children and i was talking about the theology of disability mm-hmm. how do we give them the tools so that you know they're not perpetuating continue to perpetuate some of these beliefs that this 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 child is not is not cursed mm-hmm. they are created made wonderfully you know, in, in God's image, and, and how do we respond? How do we love them? And and so th- those are the th- sort of the three pillars of, of our spiritual ministry. And there's a lot of intentionality and a lot of work that goes so that into all of that so that we, we are being effective. One of the things that um, we are now moving more towards into just monitoring evaluation and trying to understand, okay, so now that the that the, the mother's given their life to Christ, do they really understand what that means? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, you know, two, three, four years down the line, you know, can we trace them and just see if they're still involved in church? What's what's yeah. their impact in the kingdom? And, 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 and just continue to encourage them. So we are moving more towards just trying to measure impact a lot more so that it's just not about activities, but also thinking yeah. about uh, what, what our impact is. And, and not just on the spiritual ministries, but also on the, on the medical side, the surgery side. I, I was going to ask about that. When po- somebody, you know, their son gets healed and they come to, cr- come to faith in Jesus, like the follow-up, like, yeah, one year, two years, five years down the road, are you seeing a good level of, of ongoing discipleship among the co- converts? Um, I'm sure it's so, a mix, but yeah, it's so yeah, it's mixed. But w- what we've been trying to do is that uh, we are engaging the, the churches a lot more okay. so that we say, Hey, uh, Preston, you gave your life to Christ. Mm-hmm. Hey, we have, um, you know, Pastor Chalo who's ready to walk with you, mentor you, pray with you. And, and, you know, just incorporate you in, into his church. Um, and then 
now we can follow up with, with the pastor and see, okay, how, how are they doing? Please let us know, um, you know, what tools do you need? And then we, we are able to provide them with some of the materials um, so that we can follow up. And so that's just something that we are, we are getting a lot into and trying to be a lot uh, more scientific and gather data uh, uh, so that we can analyze it and, and know also, you know, how to do things better because, you know, we've been, like I said, open the last 25 years. And so we have to constantly ask ourselves, how do we do this better? How, how do this, you know, um, also, how do we share our impact and, and, and be able to share some of the data and, and not only for ourselves, so that if there are other ministries that are thinking about doing the same, we can give them the tools and tell them, hey, don't do this. We tried it. Yeah. That, that's a mistake and, and just, you know, lessons learned and be able to share with, with other ministries as well. We do not in any sense want to fight, you know, be territorial right. at all, whether it's in ministry, whether it's in, uh, you know, surgery, we want to train people, we want, you know, as many people to know Christ and want to train others to do the same. So it's it's important for us to, to mention that. Yeah. Do you work with a wide range of denominational churches or are you connected with one or what's the church scene in just to give people a picture like what, what kinds of churches are in in your area in Kenya there's so many churches and and uh you know sort of like uh traditional presbyterian you have more charismatic and new churches and so we work with everybody okay and um we actually very deliberate because we want to be able to give them the right tools. Because one of the things that we've been doing, for example, is um, as we train pastors, we we get, uh, we get do just a quick research and ask them some basic questions like, um, do you believe if a child uh, is born with disability that their parents sinned? Hmm. Yes, no, no, maybe, maybe not. Uh, do you think that... Uh, children, parents, and people uh, that have somebody, in, you know, living with a disability in their home should uh, be involved at church? Yes, no. Mm-hmm. And and it's been very, very interesting because these are pastors, these are people that are uh, leading churches, and sometimes they say, yeah, we believe that they're cursed, we believe that they're sin, uh, they sin, we believe that, uh, you know, they should not be involved in, in church. And then we take them through uh, between three and three and five days of just, you know, trying to teach them uh, about, you know, God's view. And then at the end of that, we take, we give them the same questionnaire and see if, you know, we've changed their mindset and the way that, uh, you know, they they see things. And it's been very, very interesting just seeing the sort of uh, almost 360 uh, mm. turnaround in a lot of these pastors. And these are pastors. So, so we want to be able to equip people that way. And, and so uh, that, that has actually been very, very interesting as, as we, we gather that data. And yeah. then we, we sort of, that helps us streamline uh, sort of our curriculum, what we teach them, what we say. Yeah, so that, again, you know, we can engage as many people as possible. And then we feel comfortable and confident that they're going to a place that teaches a correct theology. That's So that view that they're, a, a, somebody with a disability is cursed by God, that's that's inside the churches, in some churches that, you're that, saying. Wow. That is inside the church, yeah. yes. So, so forget forget about the people in 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 the villages who might not have education, but this is actually happening yeah. in in the church. So most of your patients that come, they're not part. They're not coming from like a Christian background, or, or what kind of religious 
what's the common it's, religion of the villages? I would, I would, is, is it Muslim or not, not too much? It's, it just depends on the country, but uh, a lot of that is it's mixed. So we have people that, you know, Catholic, Protestants, Muslims, um, some people that don't, don't go to church some people that believe in the African belief systems, yeah. uh, uh, hospital in Niger, the case of a 90% Muslims. So of yeah. course, nine over 90%, 95% of our patients will be Muslims. Yeah. And, and we also have, um, particular interest in uh, patients that come from Muslim backgrounds because we also want to teach our spiritual ministry staff and give them the tools to be able to share the gospel mm-hmm. with people that come from you know such backgrounds because it's, it's 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 slightly different because you know they have they have interesting questions you know like so you say that uh, Jesus is a, is a son of God. So did God have a, a wife? Yeah. You know? <laughs> uh, and, and so, uh, how do you handle some of those? You know, they believe in Jesus, but Jesus was a prophet. Yeah. In in, in the Islam religion. So, so we say let's let's equip our people at the hospital to be able to understand all those issues. And then when when a Muslim uh, patient comes, they're able to interact with them in a way that uh, they can relate and understand. In the more Muslim context, are you still seeing a good percentage of conversions to Christianity, or is it? I would imagine it's more difficult, but it's 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 definitely more difficult because it's it's just not about that patient. You know, it's about the family, yeah. and uh, and 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 for them, it's they some of them actually pay a huge price. Yeah, you know, it's then you become a Christian and um, your family disowns you. Then where do you go? And some actually do that. And, and you know, we've seen mothers who tell us, look, I believe in Jesus. Um, I have a husband. I come from a community. And so what I'll be is that I'll be a Christian in the closet. And we're like, you know what? Uh, um, we accept that. We've told you, you know, the truth. Um, yeah, and, and we just help them be able to, to leave that. So so it, it looks different. Yeah. And, and so... And, and, and it's very challenging. I mean, how, how, how do you, you know, I mean, you, you also have to sympathize with that mother who thinks that, okay, if I go and declare to my village that I've become a Christian, where do I go? Yeah, I have absolutely yeah. nowhere to go. I will have no family. I'll love nobody. I have no job. And yes, so it's, it's, it's incredibly difficult. Yeah. And, uh, and 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 yet yet in in some instances in some other countries hey, it's free people give their life to Christ they're excited they go tell everybody in the village so yeah, yeah so yeah. we we just work with everybody based on on where they are I wonder um, how do I ask it so so sometimes Western missionaries to Arabic countries face the hurdle so I've heard of um, Christianity being a Western religion and when white people go to Arabic countries, they have to really work hard to like say, no, this isn't a conversion from, you know, your culture to a Western culture. This is, this is, you know, Christianity isn't a Western religion, you know. I would imagine that you you probably don't face that hurdle as much, that it really is a religious conversion, not, or, or do people perceive do Muslims in Africa perceive Christianity as still a Western religion, or? or, or? I, th- I think it's it's a little bit of both. There are those that still believe that you know that's the white man's religion. Okay. Uh, but for those that, uh, because of what we do, we're like, hey, this is your fellow countryman who's yeah. telling you this. This is your fellow countryman who's you know 
changing your, doing your dress change. This is your yeah. fellow countryman who's putting you to sleep, giving you anesthesia, giving you drugs. This is your fellow countryman who's praying with you and mm. feeding you. And and so that definitely does help okay. because then it helps to contextualize everything and say, yeah. look, yeah, here, here I am. Can, can you tell us what, what are some ways, if, if somebody wants to be involved with Cure, what are some ways they can do? So we've already mentioned, um, you know, just, Donating money is a huge, a huge way that it could be is is an essential need in, in your ministry. So again, um, you can look at the Cure website, cure dot org, um, and uh, yeah, there's mm-hmm. a, it's really easy. I just I was just on it, and it's like really easy to do that. What are some other ways that, or do, are there are there ways in which people can be involved? Well, one of our core values is just um, our commitment to prayer, mm. because we realize that uh, what we do is incredibly difficult. And and we understand that, you know, we sort of treat, but God heals. Mm-hmm. And, and I think uh, just being able to pray for the work, uh, being able to pray for the people who are in Niger, you know, being able to pray for the nurses there, being able to pray for uh, the patients, because um, we, we only share, but we believe that the Holy Spirit works in, in and through people. Mm-hmm. And, and so... Just praying that uh, our ministry will be effective. I think that that in itself is is just huge. Mm-hmm. Um, there are many other ways that you can um, you know get involved. Whether it's uh, you know physical, you know sort of like your um, donations, like you said, you can go to our website. You know, see the different ways that uh, you can plug in. We you know do get a lot of donated things like uh, medical equipment and uh, whether it's beds or it's medication. Uh, that's huge as well. Um, people also do volunteer, whether it's doctors, whether it's nurses, whether it's administrators and, and so on. Um, so, so yeah, there's so many different ways that uh, you can plug in and, and be a part of the ministry. And one of the interesting things is that you can even just go to the website and, uh, and, and see the children that are at the hospital now and then follow them, send them uh, uh, a prayer card and say, hey, we are praying for you, write them a letter. And then, you know, we take that and read with them. So you can be a part of uh, of Cure and, uh, you know, whether you're, you know, involved financially or not, but just being able to know what's going on and, and telling as many people mm-hmm. uh, what what we do. I think that's, that's very important. That's a great, yeah. So even this podcast, if obviously people are listening because they're listening, <laughs> uh, share it on your social media sites and, and just uh, spread the word. Yeah. I mean, um, getting, getting the word out, it's always, always helpful. I know there's lots of ministries out there and I think people, and, and from my understanding, like people in the West have huge hearts for, um, you know, the, the developing countries that have, you know, multiple layers of needs that people in the West don't always experience. Um, sometimes they're overwhelmed, I think, by, you know, they, there's so many ministries out there and they're not sure who to trust or what to get involved in. And it's just kind of like you just kind of collapse under the uh, the, the the pressure of it all. So, um, yeah, that's why I think this kind of conversation is helpful so people can really hear the, the heart. What One of the... Um a hospital in, in Zambia. So it's just outside of town a little bit. And then, and then you go up a hill and that hill is called Zanimone, uh, which is local for Zambian, which actually literally means come and see. Mm. And a lot of the times I use that uh, phrase and just tell people, just come and see, uh, come uh, and see for yourself. You know, you can visit, you can uh, go to any of our hospitals and, and experience what, what you experienced when yeah. you came and you can, yeah, you can be able to actually, you know, just see what uh, 
you sort of see on the website, but uh, you know, actually experience that when yeah. it's, it's happening. And, uh, and and I think that that's powerful. Just just come and see. Yeah, yeah. Visiting the patients was remarkable, and I probably the thing I love the most is the on the hallway, all the before and after pictures you have. Mm. Oh man, that's just. It was it was mind blowing. It really was. It my it was all of our kids or my son. My son after he visited the patient you described with the cleft foot, um, he went out into the car and just started bawling his eyes out. He was just so blown away at how how happy that the kid was, um, and and knowing what he went through and how still incredibly poor he was, but how happy he was because he's like, but I'm healed, you know, and like see him kind of dance around and everything it was it was it was touching so peter thank you so much for your time thank you for the work you're doing i almost feel bad that i kept you an hour from your very busy <laughs> your overwhelmingly busy life but uh yeah many blessings to you and your family my pleasure thank you so much and thank yeah. you for listening and uh god bless you god bless you 